Zardoz speaks to you, his chosen ones. It's funny, you never see Peter Parker and Jesus together at the same time. I'm Joe Fulgham. I'm righteous, and I've got the molten lead to prove it. I'm Torrin Atkinson. Humanity's best hope against the Antichrist? Zombie Jesus. I'm Kevin Leeson, and this is Caustic Soda. It's the Caustic Soda Podcast! Yay! It's time to set the mics up. It's time for Tales of Woe. It's time to take the red pill on the Caustic Soda Show. It's time to do our research, unless your name is Joe. It's time to load the wiki on the Caustic Soda Show. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it makes me very hungry to introduce to you Robert M. But now let's get things started. Why don't you get things started? It's time to get things started on the informational, aberrational, strangulational, nauseational, strapped in for the caustic soda show. So our topic today is the biblical apocalypse. Wow, hot on the heels of the Four Horsemen series. That That's we did. right. Almost like a little uh, a period at the end of our Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse <laughs> series. <laughs> and our guest is noted Bible geek, Robert M. Price. Hello, Robert. How you doing? Doing very well. Now, just for, for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with Robert M. Price, I have this is from Wikipedia, so you may have to correct us, uh, Robert. <laughs> oh, good. And then they can use this as a reference to update Wikipedia, because they won't just yeah. listen to him when he says it's wrong. You have to reference something, and now we can be uh, that there reference. There you go. <laughs> American theologian and writer, teaches philosophy and religion at the Johnny Coleman Theological Seminary. A professor of biblical criticism at the Century for Inquiry Institute and the author of a number of books on theology and the historicity of Jesus. Ooh. What does the word historicity mean? <laughs> uh, whether or not he existed as a historical figure. Okay. Uh, I thought it was uh, like something to do with the hysterectomy for a second. <laughs> the hysterectomy of Jesus yeah. is another book. That's feminist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. there you go. Books include Deconstructing Jesus, Jesus is Dead, The Case Against the Case for Christ, and you are a former Baptist minister. Though I was already very uh, theologically liberal and pretty much a religious humanist even at that time. I had been a fundamentalist, but that was many years before I entered the, the pastorate. Oh, interesting. Okay. You've had many incarnations along, That's right, yeah. along your journey here. One could say that your belief system kind of evolved over time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's one way definitely. to put it. Oh, Darwinism right there. We just did Hallelujah. an example of Darwinism. <laughs> and uh, you occasionally describe yourself as a Christian atheist. What does that mean? It, it, though I don't really attend church at the moment because I've just kind of lost interest in it, I uh, have found uh, the whole aesthetic uh, experience of uh, attending at least the Episcopal Church, that sort of a church, to be inspiring and edifying uh, without uh, reference to the questions of whether there is a God as, a, as an objective entity. It, right. uh, 
it's the the place the thing and uh, i've enjoyed that very much i love all the symbolism of it and so on the institution i don't know if i'd even say that but but what goes on the liturgy and and all of that um i'm not one of these uh, religion hating atheists though i i don't think there's adequate reason to believe in god but you know there's a lot more to religion than that 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 kind of literal belief is an unfortunate price tag that's exacted (laughs) i think foolishly by religious institutions so it could be like you're saying look i don't believe in santa claus but it's fun to sit in his lap and ask him (laughs) for what i'm going to get for Christmas, and it's fun to kind of pretend, even though I know that he's the one who brought me the presents. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, that's a good analogy. <laughs> hey, I'm down with that. I like Christmas, and I'm an atheist. Yeah, that's right. I, that's one thing I cannot stand about some of my atheist buddies, that they have this sort of scorched earth uh, cultural yeah. revolution, <laughs> let's destroy everything from religion, that which is just childish and foolish, I think. When I was doing stand-up, I followed the uh, commandment, thou shalt not kill. Because I rarely got a standing ovation. Oh, <laughs> too bad. So I'm interested to know uh, what, when was the last time Bible thumpers came to your door, and how did that go? <laughs> oh, uh, mid to late '80s. We did one Saturday have uh, some Mormon guys come to the door, and uh, I invited them in and had a really interesting conversation. They didn't quite know what to do with the fact that I didn't <laughs> believe in Mormonism, but I wasn't against it and found right. it interesting. Well, they what, left. There's a gray area. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, uh, they they just assume you're going to be uh, totally opposed to it or uh, believe it. And I said, well, no, I, I don't, but I find it fascinating. Well, after they left, uh, literally, as they were going down the, the sidewalk, a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses were coming up the side. <laughs> and uh, they with said, them, don't go to I that guy's house. <laughs> These guys uh, just had a canned spiel, and you couldn't have a real conversation with them. It was very different between the two groups. Hmm. Right, yeah. So the word origin for apocalypse comes from the Greek apocalyptian, meaning to disclose or reveal, Mm -hmm. from apo meaning from, and calyptian meaning to cover or conceal. So it's literally the unveiling. Exactly. Uh, The term rapture comes from the Latin word rapio, which means to snatch away. No, snatch you away to the higher plane. Oh, mm-hmm. of course. Like a big, giant, glowing hand coming down. And and you've mm. been good. And <laughs> you've been good. Everybody else gets to burn. Armageddon comes from uh, a final conflict, 1811. Figurative use of name in Revelations as the place of the great and final conflict. Uh, Armageddon out of here. Armageddon out of here. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> From the uh, Hebrew Har Megiddon, literally the Mount of Megiddo, a city in central Palestine, site of important Israeli battles. That one actually happened in history. Yeah, that was a historical place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the tribulation comes from Latin tribulari, meaning to press and possibly to thresh out grain. And we'll talk about the tribulation as part of uh, of of the apocalypse. Uh, from tribulum, the threshing sledge from the stem root terrari to rub and bulum a suffix forming the names of tools i guess in this metaphor the people of the earth are the uh, things that were threshing oh they'll be threshed <laughs> finally judgment comes from latin iudicare to judge to examine officially uh, a compound of ius meaning the law and the root of deseri to say to say the law to say the law hmm. yeah pretty straightforward hmm. So, Robert, how would you describe the biblical apocalypse in a very short version to someone who is completely unfamiliar with... uh... 
Well, the basic idea is that history is not open. It won't go on indefinitely. The outcome is not in doubt. Evil reigns now, but uh, at some point, and usually it's thought to be in the near future, uh, God will exert a kind of hands-on rule and destroy evil, and uh, this will be... uh, uh, inaugurated by uh, the uh, appearance of uh, the devil's champion, the Antichrist or the beast, who will make a bid for uh, world domination and uh, persecute uh, the saints, whether you're talking about Jews or Christians or both, but that after a lot of tri- uh, of uh, tribulation, the suffering of, of the righteous and everybody else, uh, because God will... Uh, strafe the earth with with plagues of judgment then finally there'll be a a new dawn and uh, after this battle of armageddon uh, there'll be a millennial reign a reign of a thousand years upon the earth with uh, christ as the messiah and then a a resurrection of the dead uh, good and bad to face the judgment for what they did in their lives and then a new uh, earth will be created where god will will live among human beings that's the basic scenario so here's my question: What the hell is he waiting for? And want to just uh, you know pull the pull the pin? Well, the wait is it's also just, inevitable. <laughs> just get well, to it. Well, this is why uh, most people who have believed in this with any kind of avid uh, interest have believed it'll be very quick. It's it's not uh, just an idle belief, but it's mm-hmm. usually. Uh, uh, a cherished belief by people who are in the midst of some kind of trouble and right. figure, well, it can't be long now. God cannot just let us be abandoned to this. Yeah, mm-hmm. ev- every single thing that goes wrong, people will say, oh, it's a sign of the coming apocalypse. But, the- but uh, you know, we've kind of been saying that for a while now. Yeah, nonstop for uh, thousands of years because <laughs> yeah. it's a, it would be a, like a, a fire escape. You look at the troubles with Iran and North Korea and all that, and there doesn't seem to be any obvious way ever to settle this. It just looks pretty gloomy and murky. And so there's a natural attraction to the idea that maybe we can cut to the chase. <laughs> <laughs> so let's break it down to its various components then, starting with the uh, the end times also called End of Days or Eschaton. Is that how you pronounce it? Eschaton? From Eschatos, the last. Oh, Oh, okay. So first off, there's the rapture. And the rapture is starts off with the shout of an archangel and the blowing of a trumpet. Uh, Will this herald the sudden appearance of Jesus, or does that come later? Uh, The... uh pieces are like uh, pieces of a jigsaw puzzle and different Bible readers put them together in a different way. The most popular view is uh, what's called the pre-tribulation rapture that right. as as the clouds begin to gather, uh, there'll be the, the cry of the archangel and the trumpet blast and Christ will approach the earth, not actually come down as he will some seven years later in judgment, but he will summon skyward the righteous and the righteous dead who will arise from their graves, though no one will see it. And uh, the, uh, the the Christians, the believers, whatever, will uh, join with him and not have to suffer the uh, trials of the end. Right. But I think that is not very soundly based in the Bible. I admit it's kind of spotty and fragmentary, mm-hmm. but I get the impression that the New Testament writers tend to think that, uh, no, the righteous are going to be tested and to see if they'll stick with their faith when it would be easier to take the mark of the beast, etc., and compromise, and uh, so that at the end of this uh, time of tribulation, 
that's when you'll have the the uh, cry of the archangel, the trumpet, and uh, okay. and it will herald the return of Christ. And this rapture uh, will uh, will occur then. And it it seems to imply that uh, that's the beginning of a life in heaven. It says that the only place it ever actually describes it at all is in I think it's Second Thess no First Thessalonians, where it says that uh, there'll be the the trump of God, the cry of the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain will join them. And it says, and in this manner, we shall ever be with the Lord. So unlike in some of the rapture movies and so on, that seems to be the very uh, penultimate event. And it's just, uh, you go to heaven to be with Christ then and there. You got the VIP treatment. You go past the velvet rope. You're in the short line up to heaven. <laughs> they seem to have the idea that martyrs who who are put to death for their faith would immediately go to heaven spiritually uh, to await the resurrection, but that uh, everybody else will just be out like a light, that the dead will sleep, as it says, until the final trumpet and the resurrection of the dead. So there is a kind of a first-tier uh, thing for, the, for those. It's very much like in Islam, where they say that martyrs or suicide bombers who are considered martyrs Martyrs, people like this who die for, for Allah in battle will immediately go to heaven, but nobody else will until the final judgment. Oh, okay. interesting. All right. So martyrs is how you get into that pneumatic tube to the sky. So the regular Christians who are just kind of, oh, I believe in God and I like God, who have died up to that point are kind of waiting around in purgatory? There was a lot of uh, speculation about that in in New Testament time, C- compartmentalized the afterlife. They figured that, well, there must be some uh, torment that uh, the wicked are getting now, but the, the righteous who die now must be going to paradise uh, to, to be with Abraham and the patriarchs, but then all of them are awaiting the day of resurrection when they'll be rejoined with their bodies and will be uh, given the final assessment, and, though it seems redundant. I mean, how many judgments do you need? Yeah. But uh, but they were doing like people do today, just trying to put the pieces right. together. If Christianity has taught me anything, is that they like to be judgy. And yet, judge not, <laughs> lest ye be judged. And it's like, look, you're going to be judged anyway, so why don't I just judge? Yeah. <laughs> so why would uh, souls in heaven need to be reunited with their bodies? Yeah, I just don't know, and it's not even clear to me that, it, according to, let's say, First Thessalonians and Revelation, that uh, that's even going to happen. Uh, the the longest, most detailed discussion of this is in First Corinthians 15, and even there, there's this hedging. It says that the body will be a spiritual body, and that mm. the implying the the physical body that died would be left aside like a husk or something. So, what's if you going that far? What's the difference between that and saying that your soul's survives it's, yeah. it's not yeah. at all clear it, it sounds like a bunch of it is just uh, answers to annoying questions that kids had but what <laughs> well, about yeah. my body well you won't have a body <laughs> but uh, don't worry buddy you get your body back <laughs> well but my body's dead in the ground uh it's a, a spiritual, spiritual body, body. <laughs> yeah well even like- in uh, the gospel of luke for instance uh, the easter narrative makes a big deal of the disciples uh, being gathered, apparently locked into a room behind closed doors for fear of reprisals from the same people that executed Jesus, and then uh, suddenly Jesus is there in the room like Jacob Marley in A Christmas Carol. <laughs> but what's the first thing he does? He says, touch me and see it as I myself. No ghost has flesh and bones as you see that I have. Well, wait a minute. What are they trying to say? Is he back physically, or is did he pass through the door like a ghost? It's like... 
they can't seem to get uh, a, a consistent uh, concept there. He was well, there all the time. He just had a blanket over him. <laughs> and he was Smoking going... Smoking mirrors. Or, or like maybe he's like the Martian episode. Manhunter in uh, <laughs> comics where he changes his density. I mean, I don't know if, they, <laughs> if the stories have been rewritten or there was just no coherent concept behind them but it doesn't make much sense martian manhunter can also be invisible so that's true this is entirely Mm. this is plausible now oh jesus is the martian man or martian manhunter was jesus Jesus. can martian manhunter heal Mm. i don't think he's got telekinesis he's got a bunch of crazy powers yeah yeah he seems to have have that grab bag of powers that you just get when you need it right (laughs) he he can get into your head and yeah. make you think you've been healed. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Maybe he didn't actually raise somebody who died from the dead. Maybe he just used a telekinesis to animate the body and make oh, it move yeah. around. It's a very kind of jerky, jerky puppet like. It's you funny, know. man. After Jesus left, the guy just started lying around and rotting. Oh, lazy what? bastard. It's, uh, I mean, there's so many possibilities and hints that it begins to sound so contrived. Like there are hints that they, at one point, told the story where Jesus didn't die on the cross but escaped death. Mm. That he was drugged on the cross and came down from it. That, that's not the only version oh. of the Gospels, but there are clues that they did have many different ideas as to what happened, if anything did at all. I mean, I, I'm of the opinion that there was no historical characters of Jesus, so that what we have is just a kind of a grab bag of different myths, some of them borrowed from other uh, saviors and the like. Oh, and it almost might be that there were a bunch of different people writing this thing. Oh, it yeah. wasn't just one cohesive vision that there may have been one biblical scribe who didn't entirely understand decomposition. So it was like, no, it's the actual body joins you in heaven. And the next guy came along and he's like, eh, I don't think anybody's going to want that actual body in heaven. It's going to be kind of bony. Maybe a little desiccated. So you're saying that the Bible needed an editor? Spiritual body. They needed. Yeah. They needed well, an editor it, it got one. Uh, the the people that compiled it, but by this time, individual writings were held sacred by different groups, and they mm. couldn't any longer iron out the contradictions because somebody would have read the result and said, "Hey, where's my favorite story?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they needed a J. Jonah Jameson type who'd just be like browbeat everybody into getting alongside <laughs> with the you know cohesive version. You're fired. Yeah. 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 Parker, get me some shots of this Jesus guy healing people or you're fired. <laughs> now, that's one thing uh, I, we neglected to ask. Is there? We're talking mostly about the New Testament. Was there any Old Testament uh, apocalypse stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. The uh, book of Daniel has a good bit of apocalyptic imagery, some of it uh, being reinterpreted and reapplied. There's In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel the seer supposedly had has visions uh, about leading to the end of the age, but it's pretty clear that the uh, story he has really was a creation narrative that's been reapplied to to the future. But that's a general doctrine of of this kind of thing that uh, the uh, as the the German scholars that wrote about this said the the endzeit is the same as the urzeit. The end of time is a repetition of the beginning, and so there. There was the uh, the seven headed dragon Leviathan oh, yeah. uh, in the beginning, and there he is in the book of Revelation too. So Daniel has a good bit of this. Uh, Zechariah has some. One of the component pieces of Isaiah uh, has uh, some apocalyptic uh, imagery, and in the New Testament you have the book of Revelation, and then 
Mark 13 and the other Gospels edited versions of that. Uh, but there's, there's loads of apocalyptic for over a period of a thousand years. There are Muslim and Hindu apocalypses and right. just all kinds of stuff. Getting back to the rapture, believers will suddenly, without warning, disappear from Earth in the twinkling of an eye, mm-hmm. transformed into their spiritual bodies in the rapture and taken from the Earth to be in heaven with God. Mm-hmm. Non-believers will be left behind to face severe tribulation as the Antichrist prepares to take his place as the beast halfway through the seven-year period. Non-believers will still come to accept Christ in spite of the church's absence. However, these new Christians will endure extreme persecution to the point of death by beheading. Does that sound right, Robert? Yeah, that, that's one version of it, but that's generally pretty much what all believers uh, in this would say, give or take a particular detail. So once we get the evidence to actually believe in this, we then come over and go, okay, yeah, now that I'm being tortured by the Antichrist and all my friends have been lifted up to heaven, I guess you were right. There is a God and Jesus is his son. And then we get punished for being skeptical. Oh, no, but hold on a sec. If that happens, like uh, it's all the believers go to heaven and if they suddenly turn the tide and start to believing... Don't they get on the Amtrak? To... No, no, they get they get tribulations, yeah. and then they get oh. beheaded. Yeah, that's me, that's what I'm complaining about. Let me tell you about the Great Tribulation. Right. This is a period of time where anyone who chose not to follow God up until the Rapture and was therefore left behind. Oh, so this is like the cutoff. This <laughs> is like. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, advanced tickets, you know, you cannot get them at the door. We'll experience worldwide hardships, disasters, famine, war, pain, and suffering, which will wipe out between 25 to 75 percent. I got some different figures from different sources. That's a pretty wide swath. Yeah. Of life on Earth before the second coming takes place. It will begin with the signing of a peace agreement between Israel and her enemies, and it will end with the physical return of Jesus Christ to set up his kingdom on Earth. The idea that the, this Antichrist will sign a peace treaty with Israel and so on, this is sort of um, interpolating a piece of the uh, material in Daniel into uh, the New Testament. And again, it's the jigsaw puzzle thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're assuming that uh, these uh, prophecies and visions applied to the events of the 20th or 21st century, which is why everybody like Hal Lindsey says you better get or camping or any of these guys say that uh, you better get ready because it's about to happen but there's no such uh, specificity in these texts they don't talk about specific historical entities or uh, or modern countries these are all just inferences some of them pretty wild inferences Ooh. made by interpreters today okay oh wait a minute are you saying that some people might misinterpret some of the content in the bible it's hard to believe it, the thing here that creates so much chaos in in uh, the reading of the apocalyptic material is a, a fundamental error. In this book I did, uh, the paperback Apocalypse, the subtitle is Why the Christian Church Was Left Behind or something like that. <laughs> the thing is that there's, in, in all of these uh, predictions, especially in the New Testament, all of these writers thought that whatever was going to happen was going to happen in their generation. Uh, right. th- there are plenty yeah. of things, statements like uh, this generation will not pass away before all these things happen, or in the book of 
the revelation, behold, I am coming soon, etc., etc. Well, uh, look, uh, the calendar gives the lie to all of this, and so what they have to do is to just ignore the statute of limitations and virtually pretend that it was written to them 2,000 years later. Well, in that case, all bets are off. It could mean anything you want it to mean, and that's why you have all these different opinions, yeah. all of them worthless. Yeah, there's this weird thing where the people who are doing the prophecies usually never say, in a hundred years, yeah. it's usually like in Soon. ten years, in fifty years at most, yeah. that's when the apocalypse is going to... Yeah. So in the Great Tribulation, people not raptured can die and will die horrifically. Okay. Babies can't be born anymore since God ran out of souls to give them. Now that I've, I've never heard. I think I know where that comes from, but okay. uh, I haven't... Uh, well, I believe the only time I've really seen that used is in the movie The Seventh Sign, and, and it does reflect an ancient belief uh, in the guff, so-called, uh, the Hebrew word, uh, the, the storage chamber, because they, they believe guff that— Guff is storage chamber. It, it roughly it means that that uh, that Adam contained the whole human race in himself, and so that okay. all the souls already existed in him, so that there was a fixed number of souls that could be born, and you and when you'd run out of them, right. that would be the end. Though nobody draws that inference in the Bible. What you do have, though, is in Romans and in Revelation. Uh, statements that in Romans that a certain number of people, the full number of people who were, I guess, predestined to come to faith will do so, and then the end, or in the book of Revelation, the full number of martyrs must be put to death, and then okay. the scheduled uh, end comes. But this other thing, running out of souls, uh, it doesn't happen to say that in the New Testament, but it would be a consistent option. It's part of the same myth pattern, you might say. Okay. Or maybe the first sign of the apocalypse will be be that babies are still able to be born but they'll be soulless monsters so, oh nice oh wait a minute i like that one the kardashians have already been born uh john calvin uh, almost came to think that he, he spoke of babies as little serpents in the crib <laughs> <laughs> he just nice. didn't like them he didn't like the the 2 a.m feedings i feel the same yeah. way all that crying <laughs> Those snakes and, that, and the rattles. And the, rattling. About the yeah, rattles. Yeah, the, the rattling. Crib. No, but I just want to point out that the Kardashians have been born. They could be the first sign of the apocalypse. Mm. Well, they're so already related to, to the aliens on Star Trek, aren't they? The Kardashian <laughs> Oh, <Empire>. yes, that's <laughs> right. Keeping up with the Kardashians. <laughs> yeah, you have to be that rich to have the co the cosmetic surgery to move the spoon from your head. That's right, yeah. <laughs> their, their stepfather is uh, what Bruce Jenner, their real father is Gull Dukat. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So the, how long will this last? The Great Tribulation, is that a seven-year period? Yeah, the, this is based on this somewhat confusing part of the length of the Babylonian exile. Uh, the writer thought it would be 70 years. In fact, it was only 50, but uh, the writer seemed to think that, or everybody reading Jeremiah figured that, okay, when the exile is over and, and uh, Jews return to uh, the Holy Land, then that'll be it. Well, that didn't happen. Let's reinterpret Daniel's 70 years as 77s of years or weeks of years. Well, that gives okay. us a lot more time. And somehow, <laughs> based on that, 
that, they get the idea that there's a final week of seven years which will, uh, in which the Antichrist will be in power. Depending on who you listen to, uh, the whole thing could be called the Tribulation or only the latter half because they think that uh, the man of sin, the Antichrist, will pose as a great peaceful leader and a right. friend of Israel until uh, he gets three and a half years in and, and then he drops the pretense. So maybe it's only the second half of it, but... Uh, and and that's important in this. I know important in a, this a tempest in a teapot, but mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. the the difference it makes is that some would say, well, gee, if the uh, the blood isn't going to start flying until the middle of the thing, I guess the rapture doesn't have to happen until the middle of it. And right. people that think that are called mid tribulationists. You really need a road map to keep all of the views straight. <laughs> Good Lord, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Well, you know, three and a half years doesn't sound like so bad as far as the tribulation is concerned. But there's persecution uh, of uh, of Christians and everyone else throughout the entire seven-year period. On, on all of the uh, readings of this, it would only be the second half of it, because in the first okay. half, everyone is being lulled into a false sense of security. Uh, I personally uh-huh. compare it to uh, the first Obama administration and the second one. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I don't mind being lulled. Even if it is by the Antichrist, sounds you not, enjoy not good so, lulling. Yeah, being lulled doesn't sound half bad. Even if it is, if it is by the Antichrist, yeah, you just have to to be careful when the the real thing starts. Uh, do you yeah. have a ticket to heaven at that point? And, uh, well, but maybe I'll be so lulled that I'll have like a two and a half year long nap, and then I only got to weather the storm for like a year. Yeah, like Rumpelstiltskin or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can only yeah. hope. I am that lazy, mm. and Joe's even lazier than I am. Oh yeah. You'll be sleeping through the apocalypse. Oh, for sure. I'll be selling t-shirts. <laughs> I I survived the apocalypse and all I got was this lousy shirt. But it'll be a shirt, a t-shirt of white linen, as the, the apocalyptic writers say. You'll be there in your choir robe and so on. Mm. Oh. I'll make them extra long so they'll be robe-like shirts. <laughs> Night shirts. <laughs> Gotta cover up your naughty bits. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So let's talk about the second Just coming, Just in case then. your underwear gets raptured away. Well, that actually uh, comes up in some of these novels and movies. Uh, are your clothes going to be left behind? And yeah, right. Yeah. It, it begins to show the, the silliness of the whole thing when you start yeah. trying yeah. to picture Depends it. Depends on if you've, if, if you've washed your clothes in holy water or not. I guess so, yeah. There you go. That's right. Can clothes ask for forgiveness? I don't know. I, I think polyester ones should. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about the second coming then. The second advent, sometimes called the parousia, is the anticipated return of Jesus to earth. The Messiah will return to earth to defeat the Antichrist and Satan in the battle of Armageddon. Then Satan will be put into a bottomless pit or abyss for a thousand years known as the millennium. So we're going to have a guy who said, turn the other cheek, fight against the son of Satan. Yeah, come down and kick ass. I know how the prediction goes. Joe, you figure I don't you put know your which... money on the uh, Satan side of the I equation? Know. Yeah, like like uh, Jesus is strong and all, but isn't he just like a nice, normal, don't fight guy? You know what this makes me think of? This makes me think of the very first South Park cartoon ever, Jesus yeah. versus Santa Claus. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's a carpenter, so he'll be fighting with a lathe, I assume. <laughs> it's sort of like people who, who cherish a peaceful uh, society 
seeing the Nazis invading, uh, what are you going to do? Uh, you're worse yeah. than them if you just let them come on in. Uh, there's no dialoguing with these people. You're going to have to do some awful things to try to preserve uh, a decent society or oh. you're just cooperating. And to me, that isn't much of a problem. I'd love to see the bad guys eventually get it because they sure don't the way the world goes. Right. And so I have some sympathy for that. Of course, the idea, however, uh, in, in all these sectarian religious groups is not just that the wicked and persecutors will get theirs, uh, but uh, rather that non-believers will, and that's where it gets, uh, that's where it get, it takes on a whole different coloring. What, you mean people who are not in this religion are, yeah. are disqualified? That's a whole different thing. I just want to know, are we going to have a training montage where Jesus goes from uh, pacifist into ass kicker? Oh, like oh, 18 yeah. style. Because, you know, he's got no, he's got no experience. He's got, got no, no formal training. He's got no for... weapons training. Yeah. I'm sure all of his his spells he's got memorized for the day are healing spells and <laughs> right. resurrection. He's going to have to switch over to some fireballs and some lightning bolts. Oh, and they got that song, You're the Best Around. And he's doing that total footloose, like dance spin move, like Kevin Bacon did when he was training for the under the bleachers. <laughs> I wonder if the end fight will be like the end fight in Roadhouse and he's just going to rip out the Antichrist's throat. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, in one version of it, they uh, they say that the word of his mouth, which I guess means the command of, of Christ, will uh, strike like a sword and destroy uh, the uh, oh. the Antichrist. It's all heavily symbolic, even when it seems like it's narrating a scene with the 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 rider on the white horse with his armies coming out of heaven. It it immediately sort of diffuses back into symbolism. So it's it's hard to know what the writer of Revelation really even expects to happen. There are hints that uh, it's going to wind up with the Parthian armies crossing the Euphrates to destroy Rome and that the end of the world will happen uh, on the heels of that. But then how? Because he depicts the Parthian army as the locusts from the bottomless pit. Well, if, <laughs> yeah. if the... Uh, the yeah, I locusts mean, with the faces of men or something like that. That's right? right. And with the hair of women and all that. Well, that yeah. has to do with the horsehair crests of the Parthian cavalry. and the, oh, uh, yeah. There are a lot of little hints in the description that he's thinking of the traditional enemies of the Roman Empire, the Parthians. So what did he think would happen when he he depicts Christ coming out of the sky on horseback? Did he actually picture this happening, or was this symbolism? It's really tough to say, and that's, that is a problem that besets a lot of apocalyptic literature, where uh, it was a genre that came out of the, uh, the wisdom teachers and the scribes who felt they knew what was up, but were going to make you work for it. That's why it often says, uh, it, this calls for wisdom. Let him who has wisdom reckon the number of the beast, for it is the number of a particular man. The number is 666. Well, he knows who it is, and he says, you think about it, you'll be able to figure it out too, but if you can't, that's too bad. This is not This is written over <laughs> yeah. your head. You're not worthy of it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, all I know is, maybe I'm a more literal guy, but when I hear that it's like Christ uses his mouth to destroy the Antichrist, I'm thinking he's going Big sloppy wet kiss. Uh, no zombie apocalypse, <laughs> totally chowing down. Oh, he's uh, gonna. Okay. Well, Jesus is kind of a zombie. Yeah, Jesus is sort of. He's got a lot of zombie in his past. You know, the whole coming back from the dead thing. Yeah, blood of you Christ. Uh huh. Zombie Jesus. This is my blood. Eat it, and you'll be a zombie like me. Yeah. Uh, I was more thinking that he's just gonna beat him with sarcasm and insults. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> 
There's a snapshot into your essential nature there, Joe. Nice that, hair, yeah, that, Antichrist. <laughs> that quips and hurtful things that might hurt his feelings might actually do the Antichrist. Have you gained in. weight? <laughs> Armageddon's over. <laughs> That's it. I quit. You should uh, do your own paraphrase of the book of Revelation. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, is there anything about the Antichrist that we need to know? Like, do we do we have uh, his uh, Dungeons and Dragons stats? Like, what are his powers? <laughs> he's. I know that he's a single fig- single figure of concentrated evil. I don't believe it ever really implies that he's a figure of uh, superhuman ability or anything. Right. He just uh, is depicted as a, a deceiving, false messiah and or. Uh, malicious ruler who's acting uh, like a good guy. In fact, there, there are two Antichrist figures, uh, the, the beast and the false prophet. And with the false prophet, it says he's able to give life to an image of the beast and make it speak. But oh. that, even there, uh, that is, I think, a reference to a common uh, parlor trick. They had ventriloquism back in that time already. <laughs> and people would do that. I mean, we're told in ancient sources, people would do that very thing just to make the 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 rubes uh, amazed and that's probably what they mean you know watch out they're going to be special effects but it's going to be like the great and powerful oz it's all just a sham right so i don't think they do have the idea of him as a superman of any kind i think the beast and the false prophet are probably the morning zoo guys on christian radio here we are in the morning with the beast and false prophet giving you the traffic and the weather at the top of the hour I just know that next time I see a ventriloquist, I'll be a little, little bit more uneasy. <laughs> that he might be the Antichrist? That he might be the false prophet. <laughs> oh, it was well known that there were people, uh, they used to call such a person a goetes, meaning like a charlatan uh, who, who would uh, had uh, like uh, optical illusions like they do today, sleight of hand tricks. And mm-hmm. we're even told that one whole uh, religion uh, was based on that uh, in the second century, where this guy, uh, Alexander of Abonutychus, decided it could make a lot of money by uh, rigging up this huge python with a kind of a paper mache human face mask and <laughs> yeah. people right. would ask him for oracles and he'd have a guy doing the ventriloquism thing and the, I find it funny that when people say look at this the miracles that Jesus did look uh, if you were there you might have been amazed assuming any of this happened but there must have been people that said yeah I, I've seen better stuff like uh, than that at uh, in Vegas or whatever yeah <laughs> Well, the, Jesus did not have the advantage like Chris Angel of of uh, creative camera angles, though. That's right. <laughs> so he is at least better than Chris Angel. <laughs> why, yeah. why do you well, always put Chris Angel down? Again, <laughs> in, in 50 years, how are people going to be talking about Chris Angel? They might not at all talk about Hopefully they will not any be talking about Chris made. Angel yeah. any longer. <laughs> but if they do, they're going to blow it up and they're going to completely ignore the mistakes. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, even today, uh, I happen to notice uh, flipping through the channels just last night that the Reverend Peter Popov was on. Uh, uh, this guy was discredited 20 years or 30 years ago by uh, the amazing Randy and Paul Kurtz and some other guys uh, who went on Johnny Carson with the the tapes and so on to show that he was pretending to know what people needed by way of miracle healings before they even asked him and it turned out, I know, they had already interviewed these people and his wife was speaking the information on each one of them into his ear by a hidden um, microphone. Well, that was exposed, but this guy's still going strong. Uh, People think, oh, it's a miracle and uh, 
nothing's going to stop that if you want to believe in it. Amazing how we can believe what we want to believe if we believed it before we even started getting evidence that we should believe it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And you can still watch. Uh, I can put up a link to James Randi's takedown of him on uh, The Tonight Show. It's cut and dry. He was completely yeah. caught with his caught hand in the cookie jar. faking it with his wife helping. And, caught, caught with his hand in the profit jar, if you will. And he's back. Mm. So then the last part of the apocalypse is Judgment Day. The Catholic Church teaches that at the time of the last judgment, Christ will come and all the angels with him, and each person who has ever lived will be judged. Those already in heaven will remain in heaven, those already in hell will remain in hell, and those in purgatory will be released into heaven. Is that uh, Does that sound accurate? I didn't know they uh, thought that the release from purgatory coincided with that, but I guess those that are still there would. Uh, this is a view that... Uh, really only Roman Catholics hold yeah. that there's this intermediary thing. And, okay. uh, yeah. But uh, that does make sense if you're going to factor that into it. But this already seems to be present in Zoroastrianism, where which uh, to which Christianity and Rabbinic Judaism owe a huge debt, right. also Islam. They had the notion that uh, the wicked who, uh, once they died, would be dragged down to the house of the lie, as they called it, whereas the righteous would be taken by angels to the house of song, uh, which would be heaven, but that eventually the virgin-born descendant of uh, the prophet Zoroaster would come and raise all the dead, and they would face judgment. So that seems to be the same sort of two-stage thing. Again, it seems redundant. Well, I guess this one did make a little sense, because in the Zoroastrian version, they said that that everybody would pass through a a flood of molten lead. Well, if you were righteous, you were pure, and it wouldn't hurt you, but oh, if nice. right. whatever yeah. wickedness you had would be burned away. Of course, if you're totally wicked, you'd be gone, but uh, but everybody else would wind up saved. That's a kind of an even-handed, fairer view and does give a real role to a resurrection, but as far as I can see in, in the Bible, that's uh, just uh, harmonizing, conflicting expectations about the end. Let's throw them both in. I mean, I, I've heard before that Zoroastrianism was a uh, big influence on a lot of sort of today's religions. I think it was probably just they lost favor because of a marketing thing. I mean, imagine being a Zoroastrian, like does not roll off the tongue like <laughs> Christian or Muslim does. Right. Yeah, the uh, so prophet syllables. that makes the sign of the Z. Yeah. And when you're looking <laughs> And when yeah. you're looking through the yellow pages section on religions or astrons right at the end. Yes, yeah. exactly. You need your religion to start with AA Where, like Ardvarkanism. Mm. Well, the, the the Abrahamic ones are all That's grouped right. up together go. at the beginning of yeah. Abrahamic. If it wasn't for them, I'm not sure we would even have Christianity or Islam. I doubt it. It was uh uh, real helpful for Jewish thinking because they had never had a devil before and the more they moralized oh. the idea of God as not being just wholly other but but actually good because uh, the, they hadn't really thought of it. It was beyond good and evil but once they began to think... Like well, Cthulhu. No, yeah, I thought Cthulhu uh, was evil. The more they uh, decided, no, he has to be righteous. In that case, where does evil come from? And they said, well, the Zoroastrians have a pretty good idea. They have an evil anti-god. Right. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe we can use the Satan character as that. And so <laughs> a lot of the stuff kind of came in handy. Or, gee, why are the wicked 
uh, allowed to prevail on earth well some said well maybe there'll be a resurrection where the righteous will be rewarded that would solve an awful lot of problems and so they mm-hmm. began to think maybe God revealed himself to the Zoroastrians too and really evidence of really fascinating agile thinking among these yeah. people <laughs> in the ancient world so you know the Zoroastrians are like that band that like all these huge bands now say oh I love those guys they're our biggest influence but that band they're all broke they never and, made like, any money they yeah. never made any money and they never sold any albums but all like the you know the rolling stones and the beatles you know call them their greatest influence but yeah. uh you know they uh, they just cribbed all of their uh, sort of tunage and uh, and ran away with it. I love that metaphor. Well, there's what uh, some literary critics call the anxiety of influence. That uh, one writer, though heavily influenced by another, wants to be thought original and may even put down the writings of the one that influenced right. him. Well, I've noticed uh, that with uh, I'm sure there's plenty of examples, but I remember when. Uh, uh, Oasis uh, started bad mouthing the Beatles. Well, obviously, <laughs> they're they're that's their major inspiration. They just don't mm-hmm. want you to think that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing with religions. Oh no, no, oh. we got it directly from God. Yeah. <laughs> So do we know what happens to the earth after Judgment Day? Well, according to the book of Revelation, it's destroyed and recreated. The Gospel of Matthew refers to the regeneration of all things, which at least Uh means the world would be purified and renewed, if not recreated. But I guess they figured it was just too uh, battle-scarred or would-be after the tribulation. Or perhaps we all become time lords and we can regenerate multiple times after we die. Or this is the period that Wolverine actually shows up in the real world. Because he's got regeneration. Mm-hmm. He's got the incredible regeneration abilities. Jeez Louise. Well, it's uh, it's been uh, a kind of a major thing with people trying to modernize the ancient religions to resort to science fiction. Like, it's pretty, I mean, it's really absolutely clear throughout the Bible that heaven was simply the sky. They didn't realize how the world was set up, and now that mm-hmm. we do, uh, there's, uh, what, what do people say about heaven? Well, they, they uh, switch over to science fiction and say, it's another dimension. Yeah. What yeah. do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, they don't really have anything in mind it's just a kind of a handy pseudo concept now that we can't believe in the original thing well scientology or the various ufo religions they say hey we do believe this bible stuff happened virgin birth well it was artificial insemination by (laughs) aliens yeah ascension jesus got beamed up and they believe all that quite seriously so that's the point by point analysis of the biblical apocalypse wow Bible we are told in that ancient lore of old how the world was destroyed by the flood there was so much sin and vice all the people lost their life for the master had demanded his toll in that same old ancient lore there's a story I deplore that the world will be destroyed again sometime fire and brimstone so they say we'll take all our lives away when that atom bomb's placed on the firing line so you'd better brush the dust from that old bible and look up to the stars when they shine you'd better seek the solace of your savior when that atom bomb's placed on the firing line only knew what this world is coming to they would never let war be their goal for the world is lost 
wicked men And the atom bomb will take every soul So you'd better brush the dust from that old Bible And look up to the stars when they shine You'd better seek the solace of your I thought it might be useful now to go into uh, the history and perhaps start out with the flood of Noah, circa 2348 B.C. by by my research. I don't think that that archaeologists and geologists would agree with you. (laughs) Yes. Fair enough. Would it be accurate to say that that was perhaps the the first apocalypse, the first end of the world? Oh, yeah, it would be because uh, there are two different accounts of it in the book of Genesis that have been spliced together, another one of these editing things, because both mm-hmm. accounts were sacred and they couldn't leave either of them out, and that's why there are contradictions between one verse and another. But the uh, basic idea is that the human race became so corrupt that God said, well, this was a, this was a disastrously failed <laughs> experiment that none of them deserved to live except Noah. Uh, he's an exception. So uh, he destroys the world, and in one of the accounts, he he smashes the earth to pieces. Uh, oh, it isn't wow. just flooded, and uh, but the guy and his family survive on the boat, and he starts the human <laughs> well race boat. again. So it is exactly like the book of Revelation, this cosmic disaster destroying almost everybody, but only the tiny remnant of the righteous survive, and uh, it's just that it's not final, right? It, in fact, it says, don't worry. Uh, God says, I guess I kind of flew off the handle here, but uh, <laughs> It won't happen again. I, I won't destroy the earth again. Sure, God, we trust you. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Got a little hot under the collar there for a second, but I'm all right now. I was just having my man period. Yeah, I'm, I'm inventing my, uh, my UFO explanation for all of this. The earth that they were talking about was another planet. The flood was oh. an alien attack. The ship that he built, the Ark, was actually a space Ark. Oh, yeah. The gathering up of all the animals was all their genetic material for recreation later on. Oh, good and one, And then good one. it took 40 days and 40 nights to travel to this Earth where he landed and dropped everybody off and made new animals. This is like the plot of Prometheus, only with less facehuggers. Well, Zechariah Sitchin in The Twelfth Planet and several other books says something very much like that. He says that uh, the creation was a bunch of aliens who came to uh, take over colonies and and create a a slave race and so forth. Uh, Though I always say that this kind of science hidden in the Bible thing isn't all that different anyway, because if you look at what the ancients thought gods were, they were essentially Kirk and Spock with super weapons and all that and vehicles from the sky. I mean, they didn't have, they weren't Thomas Aquinas or St. Anselm with abstract uh, theologies. And then Dr. McCoy came down and injected Jesus on the cross with that thing that makes you seem like you're dead. Well, that that is what people Voila. think. That's exactly. how Jesus healed people. He had alien science. and I mean, of course, it, nothing's impossible, but it's obvious they're just trying to salvage ancient mythic stories with modern myths of science fiction. I'm TMing a new T-shirt slogan, Jesus had a tricorder. <laughs> heaven is the name of the ship up in orbit and mm. you get beamed up to it and that's ascending to heaven where they uh, you know uh, heal get, you and regenerate there's a your whole body. there's a whole cool science fiction story behind this right now and if you weren't so lazy you would write that story I, and if i was a writer uh, luckily there is a writer that's our special guest right now <laughs> so i'd like to briefly go through some of the failed apocalypse predictions in history okay mm. and uh, i think i'll start uh, circa 150 a.d with Montanism. Mm-hmm. This is a second century Christian doomsday cult referred to uh, by the name of its founder, Montanus. Ooh. But originally known by its adherents as the New Prophecy, originated in Phrygia, which is modern day Turkey, 
spread rapidly to other religions in the Roman Empire at a time before Christianity was generally tolerated or legal. Although it came to be labeled a heresy, the movement held similar views about the basic tenets of Christian doctrine to those of the wider Christian church. The Montanists believed that Christ would come again within their lifetimes and establish a new Jerusalem. So, And this uh, cult lasted for several centuries, uh, despite the failure of Jesus to return in any one of those people's lifetimes. Yeah, okay. I was about to say, they must have been incredibly long-lived people. Well, the Montanists are an interesting group because they were not heretics, according to anything we know. It looks as if they were declared heretics just because these guys wanted to revive early Christian enthusiasm and dedication. They believed in prophecy and speaking in tongues and in right. celibacy, and by the this time, the uh, people were the Christians were becoming less sectarian and easing back into a worldly existence. And there were, every time that happens, there's a reaction. Let's go back to the old days. And these guys mm-hmm. thought that, yeah, uh, we're going to live like the earliest Christians, and the end is going to come because the the New Jerusalem is going to come down in uh, Papuza in Phrygia. And uh, of course, it didn't. But I guess they had their rationalizations, like every one of these movements has. Uh, In 1920, J.F. Rutherford, the Jehovah's Witness Watchtower Society's second president and one of its founding members, published a book titled Millions Now Living Will Never Die, which forecasts the arrival of God's kingdom within a few years. There will be a resurrection of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and other faithful ones of old. We may expect 1925 to witness the return of these faithful men of Israel from the condition of death being resurrected and fully restored to perfect humanity and made the visible legal representatives of the new order of things on earth. Do you think that counts as, a, as an apocalypse? Is, was that what he was talking about? Or is that something uh, well, different? yeah, I, they, I think they had already had one failed date. I believe they thought it would happen in 1914, and the, the witnesses have continued to go back to the drawing board and come up with new dates and then revise their, their literature and deny that they had made the failed predictions before. And uh, in uh, the mid-'90s, they finally said, look, we've been wrong again and again. We've learned our lesson. We do think it's going to happen, but we're done uh, setting dates. They they just figure it'll happen. Let's be ready whenever it does. But right. uh, they right. finally admitted that, yeah, y- you can't figure this out. Only about 75 years of uh, failed predictions before they finally threw up their hands. They're a tenacious bunch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now we'll go to my favorite, 1842, William Miller and the Great Disappointment. Oh, it's all in the title, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Lovecraft mentions that uh, in the Call of Cthulhu. He has uh, the uh, he has a bunch of theosophists who, of course, never did this, but he he kind of mixes them up with the uh, the Millerites. Uh, he says that uh, they thought that some great event was at hand and were waiting for it to happen on mountaintops right. wearing yeah. white sheets. Well, at least the rumor is that that's what a lot of the Millerites did because they figured, okay, this is it. And uh, I think uh, Miller came up with it. Well, mainly based on uh, an obscure passage in Daniel. Yeah. Uh, though there was also some calculation, and the witnesses have done this too, based on the number of stones in the Great Pyramid or something. I don't know what oh, the wow. rationale was. Well, but he was wrong, of course. And uh, then either he or a follower, I forget which, uh, decided once, like on the, the cold light of dawn uh, the next day, you know, I, I think there was a mistake here, but but I've corrected <laughs> it. Hold on for another year. And a lot of them did, but again, bupkis. William Miller was an American Baptist preacher. 
He, uh, at the outbreak of the War of 1812, during the Battle of Plattsburgh, shots had exploded two feet from him, wounding three of his men and killing another, but Miller survived without a scratch. Of course, he came to view the outcome of this battle as miraculous. Uh, after examining the Bible, he became convinced that Christ will literally and physically be on the earth for his millennial reign at his second coming. His first interpretation was that the second coming would come sometime around 1843. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miller never set an exact date for the second advent. However, he did narrow the time period to sometime between March 21st, 1843 and March 21st, 1844, when that date, March 21st, 1884. 1844 passed without incident, and there was further discussion in the study, Mm -hmm. and uh, that resulted in the new date, April the 18th. When that date passed, uh, the next date was October 22nd, and then that date finally became known as the Millerites' great disappointment, I guess third time's the charm. (laughs) It's all sounding incredibly familiar. Is this the plot of a Simpsons episode? Doesn't Homer (laughs) predict the rapture and they all go stand on top of a butte in white robes and wait for it to happen and then everybody wanders off and... Homer's left there by himself. And uh, Harold Camping did the same thing. He, uh, back in, I think, 94, he uh, did a book predicting that uh, the end would come there. And it was based on a very obscure method of interpreting the Bible. Uh, I mean, unheard of in his own circles. He was a Calvinist, and and they uh, generally have no patience for this kind of thing. But he came up with it, and he had a big fan base from Christian radio and all that. Uh, But at least at that time, he had the the sense to admit that uh, this was simply a calculation, not a prophecy. And if he was wrong, well, he was wrong, but that was his theory. Well, of course, you're in the twilight zone anyway, but at least that's a somewhat (laughs) reasonable way to view it. It's a theory. Don't hold me to it. But this time, when he came up with this new thing, he said, if you don't accept... Yeah, in 2011. Yeah, he said, if you don't accept this, you're denying the authority of the Word of God. And, uh, oh my gosh, I guess he's just losing his grip. Uh, And then he did the same thing. It didn't happen. Okay, let's fall back to another date and another date. I'd love to hear exit interviews with a lot of the people that paid for these billboards and so on, but that just happens again and again. I remember back around... 1990, I was uh, on Route 3 headed uh, from Montclair into New York City and noticed a guy by the side of the highway with this big uh, placard saying the world was going to end on October so-and-so that year. And I thought, what the heck? And I figured, here's another one. And a few uh, months later, I heard that several members of this group had killed themselves uh, afterward because they just could not face the shame. And uh, so that's happened sometimes. And, right. Yeah, Harold Camping, he was the he was the guy that very recently had those predictions in 2011. And uh, he admitted in a private interview that he no longer believed that anybody could know the time of the rapture or the end of the world, in stark contrast to his previously staunch position on the subject. In March 2012, he stated that his attempt to predict a date was sinful. Hmm. Oh, he showed pride. I, sin of pride. I found out how he calculated the May 21st date. So he dated the Great Flood to 4990 B.C., and using that date, he took the statement from Genesis 7-4, seven days from now I will send you rain on the earth, and he said that's a prediction of the end of the world. And then he combined that with Second Peter 3-8, uh, with the Lord a day is a, is a thousand years, and a thousand years are as a day. Mm, okay. So he said, okay, so 7,000 years after 4990 is when the earth is going to end, and that is May 21st, 2011. 
even if you believe that the Bible is divinely inspired, nothing gives you the right to interpret it that way. That's like putting on a blindfold and playing pin the tail on the Bible. That's just (laughs) completely (laughs) random. How could you be convinced yourself? It's just such a a catch-all, a broad side of the barn kind of a guess. So, Robert, in the game of pin the tail on the Bible, what would you use for the tail? Uh, well, just uh, just your finger. There's an old joke <laughs> yeah, where uh, this uh, pious fundamentalist lad is looking for God's will for his life, and he, he cuts scripture, as they call it sometimes. He just opens the Bible at random uh, and, and plunks his finger down, figuring he's going to be guided by God. Well, the verse his finger lands on says, Judas went out and hanged himself. Uh, and then he, he nervously flips a couple of pages and tries again. Uh, And this time the verse is, go thou and do likewise. Uh, So he doesn't like that, so he tries again. And this time it says, what thou doest, do quickly. Well, now this is passed around among fundamentalists as a kind of a uh, self-satire, saying, don't do something like this. And uh, yet that's practically... Uh, what camping was doing it's it's yeah, all, yeah. it's no different and he's staking everything on this it's not so much pride as stupidity i mean he's an intelligent man i've listened to his shows before i, I think of course he's living in a different universe but but he's an intelligent articulate fellow and for him to come up with something like this it's amazing i mean even from a christian standpoint i i, I have a lot of criticisms of conservative christianity but i suddenly become their defender when idiots like this start giving it a bad name a worse name than it deserves right Right. you got to be something special to give fundamentalist christians uh get them against you tune in next week for the exciting conclusion to this episode of caustic soda 